jump right in. Uh, as some of you that were here last week, um, we are in this like final little series. It started last week, so kind of mini series called Before I Go. And it really came from the idea of like, hey, if we have just a couple weeks before everyone heads out for the summer, before people graduate or head back home for the summer, um, I wanted to say a few things. And what were the final things? What were the last two messages of the semester? And thinking about that and praying about it, it was like, well, what was Jesus's last words, right? Like, what were some of the things that he said uh, as he would be ascending and going back to the Father? And so I actually had a four-week series on this, and I'm condensing it into two. So tonight's actually like two main things that we're going to put into one. But if you remember last week, I don't normally try to build off of last week or off my other weeks. Usually you can come in here and we're just going to go. Um, but it is important that you understand what we talked about last week. So briefly, here's what we talked about, that there was a moment, and I would say the climactic moment of the Bible, when Jesus is on the cross and we are at the moment and he is just hanging there about to die. And then he declares in Greek to telestai, which means paid in full, or it is finished. It is completed. It is full. It is done. And what amazing, radical, reality-changing words those are. And if you remember last week, I was saying there's, there's, there's going to be a few moments in your life that in one moment, your reality changes. You remember me talking about this, right? So some of you, uh, in two weeks, you're going to walk this stage uh, and graduate, right? And you're going to get handed a paper, and it's a reality moment. Like, uh, that's over. Now what, right? Now what are we doing? Do you have a job? Do you know where you're going to live? Uh, are you going to just stay in school some more, right? Like, there, there's some decisions to be made. For some of you getting accepted into uh, some other program, that's, that's going to change the course. And I talked about how I stood before a bunch of people uh, on December the 20th, 2003. Yeah, I'm that old. Uh, and said, I do to my wife. And that reality moment has now changed my whole life for the last 20 years. And it's been amazing, but it's been a journey of, of a lot of things that I never expected. But it was a moment and everything changed. And so I, I need to set that up because here's what's going on. Jesus declares over all of us, y'all, I'm gonna dive right in, that through his work and his work alone, you and I can be forgiven, freed, and have a relationship with God. Ain't that good news? Ain't that good news? That we could come to the altar and be accepted and be seen as sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus did. I don't have to do something. I don't have to perform and try to like do as many good things as I, I can so that God would go, okay, Stephen, now finally I'm good with you. Now finally I love you because you did this, 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 and this, and you were baptized, and then you've been to church like at least half the time this year. Uh, you know, um, that's not what we're doing here. And what I said was when he declared it is finished, you and I then now have a gift and a gift cannot be earned or it ceases to be a gift. That's wages. A gift can be sought after, a gift can be received, but a, a gift can't be performed for. I don't perform for some gift, right? Or it's not a gift, it's wages. And what God says is that, that it is by grace you and I are saved through faith and it is a gift. And so what we do and how we respond to what Jesus did, how we respond to Jesus saying it is finished is we just receive it. We rely on it. We trust in it. And can I be honest? Uh, half of the people that I counseled last week, uh, I, I, I wanna say this because I'm with you. It, it's, it's difficult. You were like, hey, I believe in Jesus. I'm following him. But it's still kind of hard to believe that. 
Like if I want to be honest, to, to rely fully on Jesus' work and know that I'm good with God no matter what, that like he loves me even when I've messed up, even when I think about my past, to think that God still loves me, I'm having a hard time believing that. Like a, a few of you, like we talked through that and that's a real thing. And some of you right now are like, yeah, I'm struggling with that because I know it, but it's hard to like receive that, that that's true, that I have a finished identity through the work of Jesus. It's done. It is finished. I'm a son. You're a daughter. You're forgiven. You're healed. How many sins did Jesus die for for you on the cross? How many? All of them. Were they your past or your future? All, right? You weren't even born yet. And God demonstrated his love that while you were in sin, he died for you. So I, I need to establish that and go, okay, so now what? Okay, we're saved in this room. Many of us. In fact, y'all, this week alone, we baptized six people in the bridge ministry. Like, amazing. And some of you, there was a couple that got saved last week. That we're going we're gonna to continue to walk this out. And, and maybe a few of you that haven't followed through that. But I know this, that God is transforming lives in this place. And it is awesome to be a part of. And can I just say on this last bridge real quick, I want to get a little nostalgic. Um, the end of July, when Pastor Bob brought me into his office, he's like, hey man, I've been praying about this for a while. We've been without a, pa a college pastor for how long? A whole year. And he's like, I think you're the guy. And I'm like, I don't think I'm the guy. Uh, I think you're wrong, right? And I'm struggling with this. And he's like, just, just pray about it. It was overwhelmingly like, you're supposed to step into this. You're supposed to step into this and trust me. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Y'all, can I just say it's been just for me, like this first year. So I've been the college pastor now since the end of August. And it's been such an honor and, and a privilege to get to be a part of this ministry. It just really is. I'm grateful for you. I'm like learning all y'all's names. Some of y'all like I've known for a long time and I still don't know your name. Lexi, last week I like totally like bombed on her name. She's like, I've served for you on Wednesday nights for the last three months. I'm like, Lexi, I'm so sorry. Uh, but I got it. I'm still getting there. But just watching the life change in this, watching you guys come alive and just being kind to one another. That one, even that one, y'all, is, is evidence of fruit of the spirit in here that we can be kind to one another, that we can walk with one another, that we bear one another's burdens. It's been an honor to get to serve with Ashton Russo, y'all. That dude's the real deal, all right? For real. And our staff uh, getting to be with Tiana and Marin and Levi for part of the year, right, until he got a job. Uh, and Emmy and Michael Duncan. Y'all, Michael Duncan, gosh. I mean, everyone needs a Michael Duncan in their life. I didn't even, this is not part of my notes. I wasn't like honoring the whole team right now, but I, I feel like I need to do this. Um, Y'all have an amazing staff here that loves you, even getting to be led uh, by, by Mason and the team. We have a great thing and I'm excited for the days ahead. And, and there are many days ahead, but I just needed to stop and say, I'm just grateful y'all to see the life change. And what it is, and what I wanted to say tonight on our last night is now what? You see, because we're not saved just from hell. And we're not saved from death and sin and all this stuff and separation from God. We are, we are saved from that, but not just that. You see, the good news is also that we are saved to a God who loves us and wants to walk with us. We're saved to a relationship and we're saved to a purpose. And I know a couple weeks ago, we got Pastor Larry in here going and I was like, man, if you haven't heard that podcast or weren't here, uh, check that one out. Because we talked a lot, or he talked a lot about mission. And I want to go a little bit further into that tonight. So the final words of Jesus tonight, we're going to do two different texts. But I want you, if you've got a Bible, to go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. John 20. Yes, there it is. John 20. 
And we're gonna hear from Jesus tonight on his last words. John chapter 20, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John's the fourth one. Uh, I'm not gonna give you a whole lesson on that, but just, you know, find John. Uh, And then as we get to the end of it, let me just give you the context because this is the end of his life, right? This is before I go. Jesus has already died. And, uh, and to be quite honest with you, we know how that plays out, right? Like we see hindsight of all these many years, but the disciples in this moment don't know how this plays out. Even though Jesus told them over and over, hey, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna raise again, I'm gonna build the temple. Like they didn't understand it because the whole time they're thinking, this is our leader, this is the guy. Like he is going to rescue us out of Rome and all these terrible emperors. And like, we're gonna set up Israel as this new nation and we're gonna go. And then Jesus instead dies. So they're like really, really freaked out, really scared. And you remember the story of Peter and he's freaking out and they're like, aren't you with him? Like, and he's like, no, I I wasn't. Right, like this is a scary moment. And I think we missed that a little bit because we know how the story ends. But put yourself just for a minute in, in their situation. And we're gonna start in verse 19 and read through 24. So now the first day of the new week, that is Jesus died on Friday, Saturday's come, Sunday's come, first day of the week. And it says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors are locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, right there. There it is. They're in some upper room and they're like huddled and the doors are locked. Why? Because they're so afraid. Y'all, the temple police that came with the clubs and all that to get Jesus and Gethsemane, that's, they're still around and they're probably looking for his followers next. So they're thinking like, okay, we're next. And man, we got to maintain this thing because this is a movement. Jesus started something. And this group, this like group of police can like tear this whole thing down by arresting all of us and killing us. I mean, that's a real fear. They are, they are afraid, and they're afraid that the temple police are gonna show up, but who shows up? Oh yeah, y'all read ahead. Here we go, all right. So that the doors are locked, the disciples are so afraid of the Jews, and as they were, Jesus came and stood among him. Can I just stop right there and tell you what happened real fast again? I'm gonna do this. Y'all, he just walked through a wall. Like superhero stuff, like doors were locked, didn't matter. Now, some of y'all think, well, he's got a resurrected body and like he's a spirit now. No, 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 he's about to show him his hands and all that. I don't really know how that works. I don't have my theology fully formed on like what kind of body he's got right now, but it's not the like resurrected, redeemed body, although he is resurrected. I don't know, we'll study that later. I don't know, but he walks through a wall. Uh, He's walked on water so he can do whatever. Um, He is God, Uh, we know this. So he comes and he just walks through a wall and he just stands with them. Like they're all afraid. Can you just see this picture? They're like freaking out and he just kind of like joins them. He's like, what's up y'all? Scared? Yeah, me too. Wait, no, I'm not. Cause I'm Jesus, right? So what does he do? He comes up to him and he's like, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And when he had showed uh, them his hands and his sides, then the disciples were glad and like realized it was Jesus. They were like, Whoa, and, and that is such an understatement. Y'all think about this. We thought he died. We thought it was over. We're waiting to be arrested. And Jesus shows up like, hey, remember how I died? Well, I ain't dead. I mean, this is mind-blowing moment. Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. And then let's go further, verse 21, because here's what happens. He says it again. Jesus says it again. Peace be with you. Shalom, peace. And here's the reality for all of us to just take one little thing. I'm gonna keep going, but but peace is found in the presence of Jesus. 
You're struggling with anxiety. You need to pursue the presence of Jesus, lay that stuff at his feet and let the God who cares about you take care of you. That's why it says in 1 Peter 5, to cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. Then peace is found in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is declaring peace, peace for you, peace. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, don't you see out there? It's about to be war. And he says, peace. And then he says this, and this is where I wanna camp in verse 21. Jesus says to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it will be withheld. Real quick on that last verse, because I'm not gonna have time to do a lot. It's a really interesting translation. If you know the Greek, I don't. I'm not real good at Greek, but I was reading a ton of commentaries and, and they all agreed on this. The translation there is, if you forgive anyone their sin through my authority, just know that it's already been forgiven. And then if you withhold it, know that it was never theirs. I don't know what to do with that, but I wanna back up because there is something else he says right here, but basically we're gonna see that the authority of Jesus is being passed on to these, his followers. Peace be with you as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So we're saved and we're not just saved from sin, we're saved for something and we're saved for purpose. We know this, but really what is it? That's what I wanna hone in on tonight. So the first question tonight that we gotta answer is, if, if we're being sent the way that the father sent Jesus, how was Jesus sent? What does he mean by that? As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And I think there are two main things he's pointing at. Okay, the first is that Jesus was sent with a very clear and distinct mission. It wasn't random. It wasn't like just God by osmosis was gonna come on earth and kind of like live with his people. He had a very clear mission. If you remember John 3, 16 and 17, Y'all all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not die, would not perish, but have eternal life. But verse 17, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn it, but to save the world. Jesus's mission, he was sent not to condemn the world, the world is condemned. He came to rescue, redeem, buy back and save and declare it's finished. And so he had a very clear uh, mission to save also in Luke four, he announces now that the arrival of the kingdom is here. That is that all that y'all been waiting on, all these prophecies have arrived in me. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is now available to everyone. It's available, it's here and now. Luke four, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came declaring and proclaiming the kingdom of God. In fact, all of us know his main message in his mission was this, to repent for the kingdom is here. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins because the kingdom is here. That is change your mind, change your way for the kingdom is here. And so Jesus comes announcing the arrival of the kingdom and then really ultimately showing us life. He is life, showing us the way. And you remember his teachings where he said, anyone that wants to save this life, you're gonna lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Now, I want to be careful here because some people take this to the extreme that Jesus was not really dying for us. He was showing us a pathway to our salvation, which is our own death. That's not true. That's not biblical. But Jesus died for you and I to save us, but he also in that shows us the way to life is to lay down ours. That's very much a clear teaching of Jesus, Luke 9. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is important for you and I. Because so many of you in this room, you have plans for your life. You've got like this whole agenda. You got this whole thing. And some of you, you Christianize that agenda. Like it's like, God, I want to get married and I want to live here. And I have this many kids. Will you bless that, Lord? May this be your will. Please, please. You know, right? Like this is kind of how we do this. Lord, could I make the team? Lord, could I do this? And none of those things are bad to have ambition or have a dream or have these things. But when they supersede the fact that I've never even asked God what his dream is for my life, we got a problem because I'm holding on to what I want. I'm holding on to my mission, what I want. And what Jesus is saying to all of us is, man, look, you want freedom, you want life, lay down your life and find it in something so much bigger than you. This summer, you have an option. You can be off, right? You can go get a job. You can, you can hang out. You're deciding, like, do I take a few summer classes or not? Or do I want to be off? And you can just spend all summer for you and on you and doing you, right? But you know, some of you who have done this, where that leads. You don't like come back super pumped. You don't come back super uh, life-giving because when we look internal, all that does is suck the life out of us. We were called to move outward, to live outward, right? And so when I put my focus on others, that gives me life. That's like, yes, I was made for this. I was made to serve and to love the way that Jesus does. So Jesus comes with a clear mission. Also, Jesus comes empowered. Jesus was sent, empowered, full of the Holy Spirit. It says multiple times that he's full of the Spirit, that God gave him without measure the Spirit. There's a verse, uh, a passage in John that's been wrecking me lately. I keep thinking about it because I'm like, man, could I ever get to this point? And it's in John 5. John 5, Jesus says this. He says, the son can do nothing on his own accord only that which he sees the father doing. I still think about that. I'm like, man, could I ever get to that point where I'm like, I don't do anything until I see what the father's doing, what he's, where he's moving. Could I ever be that intimate with him? But this was what Jesus modeled, that all he does is walk with the father and do what the father has called him to do. And his power comes through the spirit. All the things that he is doing is because he is living full of the spirit. And so... He is now sending us to be full of the Spirit. He is promising us the Spirit. That's why he says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes this on him like, I want you to receive this. Now, this isn't the Pentecost moment of Acts, but this is a very clear teaching. In fact, that it wasn't literal like he like went around and was like, oh, you know, like it wasn't that. And the, the breathing on was really a, a, a language, a, a type of speech, a figure of speech that he breathed. He spoke this into them. He prophesied into them. You will be full of the spirit. I'm breathing that. I'm, I'm saying yes and amen to that. You're going to be full of the spirit just as I am. And so that happens a few days later. In fact, we see in another text that he says, wait here till the spirit comes. And when he does, you will walk empowered. And this is so key for you and I. This is so key for you and I because what God's calling you to and me to, the what now, is so impossible, y'all. He's calling you to save your friends. 
He's calling you to proclaim the glory of God to the nations. And that's a little overwhelming. It's a little overwhelming. I can do it with like, we can, we can go over on a mission trip and I can like talk to people. But man, when I have to talk to a couple of my family members about Jesus, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, God. This is going to get weird. I don't know if I can talk to my ne- next door neighbor, man. Like he's kind of uh, not too friendly to Christianity. Uh, God, what do you want to do? And God calls us though to be a witness and to do the same thing. We've been sent now to proclaim liberty to the captives. Through the power of Jesus, obviously we don't have any of this in us. He does all the heavy lifting. But here's where I want to land. If Jesus' work is complete, why are we here? What do we have to do? And it is truly the question of why the church exists and what is our mission. Many of you know the answer to this because Jesus' true last word in Matthew was the great commission. Many of you know this. And I just want to, I want to, Land here for just a minute and point out a couple things. So if you still got your Bible, flip back over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, the last words of Jesus in Matthew recorded before he would ascend to heaven. And we, I want you to see this. We keep getting this tension of being called to something really, really great, really, really amazing, really, really impossible. And yet God being like, and I'm gonna do it in you and I'm gonna do it through you and I'm gonna be with you. Because the first thing Jesus says in the Great Commission, sometimes we don't quote verse 18, but it really matters. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority, how much? All All authority, like I am boss of everything. There is nothing in the created world that doesn't bow to me. That is what he's declaring. I'm over it all. I control it all. I am in it all. I am over all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, verse 19, therefore, because of this, go, he's speaking to his disciples, the 11, and to the whole church that would be formed in Acts Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and then the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. What amazing news. You see in John 14, 12, Jesus makes this statement and says, hey, I'm gonna send the Spirit to you I'm gonna send this comfort of this helper and greater works you'll do than me because I go to the Father. And unless I go to the Father, I can't send the helper, but you're gonna do greater works. I've always been like, what? Like greater works? Like ain't nobody in here turning water to wine, right? Or walking on water. Like how are we gonna do greater things? Like he's risen from the dead. I think you win, you've done the greater works. That's not what he was talking about. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus had a clear, specific, pointed mission. And now it's opened up. And he's saying, you know what? My scope is here. Your scope is greater. I want you to go to the world. I'm going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to die for the house of Israel. And yet I'm going to open up my kingdom and its availability to all Gentiles, all people, all nations. They can all be saved in me. And you're going to do this. You're going to be the work. You 11, starting with y'all, are going to change the world through the power of my spirit. And the whole world is going to change. And so like, Amazing. So here we go. 
Matthew 28, first off, he says, as you go, go and make disciples. That is as you go. This is relational. Some of you might be called to go. In fact, this summer, there's a few of you heading over to Utah. There's some of you that might be going uh, to your hometown. I don't know where God is sending you this summer, but for some of you, it's like, hey, I want you to go and I'm calling you somewhere. I had a very real call in my life, lived in Houston 10 years, y'all, and God clearly, and I don't have time for the whole story, but he said, I want you to go home. I want you to go back to Wichita Falls. I'm calling you there, so go and make disciples there. Go to Utah and make disciples there. Go to your hometown, make disciples there. Stay in Wichita Falls and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, we just did that, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them. And, and I, I need to bring this up. What does he say? Teach them to do what? Teach them to what? Is it still up there? Yeah, verse 20. Teach them to observe. Uh, that means to do it, to obey it. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Teach them to walk with me. You see, a disciple is really an apprentice. It's someone learning to be like the one that they're apprenticing under. It's a follower. It's someone learning the, the trade. Jesus never meant for you and I to sit around in Bible studies and collect information about him. That was not what he died for. And I think the church sometimes gets this really wrong. So we're like, hey, this is how we disciple. We get everyone in a classroom. We're going to teach them this information. And maybe when they get to heaven, there's going to be a test. And they're going to like see if they know the right answers. That's not what it says. Teach them to do it. Some of you right now, your spiritual life is so flat because you already know the information. You're just not doing it. You're not living it out. You know that if someone slaps you or hurts you or offends you to turn the other cheek and instead you're just holding offense. When Jesus says to forgive, you can't do it. When, when, when Jesus says to love your enemies, you can't do it. When Jesus says, follow me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this will be added, I just can't. I'm seeking so many other things. It's, I, I don't think in this room that we have a problem with some of the theology and information. I think some of you guys know this so well, but the question is, are you doing it? Are you living this way? Do you live like Jesus? And that's where as a church, we want to, all of us communally work towards that. You know how I said, like what I love about this group is the kindness. That's it. That's the fruit of the spirit. Because everything that we know about God, all of this theology is meant to be lived out in the context of relationship, right? That's what we're saved towards, is to live this thing out. So my love for God is lived out by my love for other people. And I can go on and on about this, and I don't have time. So we're to go make disciples. The question is this. I remember that at the start of the year, I sat the interns down. And we had this little experiment where I said, hey, I want everyone to take a piece of paper and I want you to write down your definition of a disciple. Right now, where you are, if you're taking notes, just real quick, I'm gonna give you like 30 seconds. Just like, if you had to define what a disciple is, what would you say? Just write like a little thing down and maybe this will be fun. Uh, let's have a few of you spout it out. Uh, what do you think a disciple is? Now, now, some of you, we've already gone over this, haven't we? Uh, in life group. Some of y'all know where I'm gonna go with this at least. Uh, but maybe you weren't with us in life group and this is me asking you this question is new to you. If it's new to you, me asking you this, this is the first time I've asked you, um, you get to speak. Okay, so anybody want to shout out like, here's my definition of what a disciple is. We're going to make these. Here's what it is. Anybody? Someone who follows Jesus. Nice. Someone who follows Jesus. 
Anybody else want to give it a stab? Like, here's what a disciple is. Here's what we're making as a church. This is our mission to make someone who follows Jesus. Is that good enough? Are we good with that? Anybody write anything else differently? Okay, disciple, someone who shares the gospel. Awesome. I like that, Juju. Anybody else? Is that Juju? Okay, for a minute I was like, I said that, and I was like, wait, that may not be him. I don't know. Uh, anybody else write it down a little differently, a little different definition? Yes. Which, like apprentice, someone who follows someone around and is learning everything they do, a disciple. That's pretty good. That's really good. Yeah, the, the word there is better translated, I think. I think it's lost a little bit of its, but it's better translated in that apprentice type thing. Uh, as the bridge and, and our church, and Bob talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, let me give you a definition, a working definition of a disciple. And we take the definition out of uh, Matthew 4.19, which was the call, the original call of the disciples. And we believe that the call of the disciple is where we define what a disciple is through the scriptures. And here's what it says. Y'all know this. You're familiar with this. Jesus calls out and says, follow me. There it is. And I will make you fishers of men. Stay on that verse for a minute. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. As we look at this verse, there's actually three things in this verse that are true of a disciple. All right, look at it. So, and he said to them, follow me. So a disciple is definitely, ding, 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 someone who's following Jesus. Someone who's trying to live out or observe his commands to put them into practice and find that Jesus' words are actually true. Oh, you, you stay on that verse for me. I don't want to give it to him yet. Thank you. Follow me. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, number two, and I will make you. A disciple is someone who's being transformed or changed by Jesus. If you're truly following him, if you're truly a disciple, he is making you into something. That means that the you that is right now, the spiritual side of you right now, should look different a year from now. Like when we get back this fall, we should have grown, shifted, changed. It doesn't mean we're all perfect uh, this fall, but he is making us into something. Is he changing your life? Is he changing your attitudes? Is he breaking you free of some things and some habits and healing you for some things? This is what Jesus does. So as we follow him, he's changing us. So a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus. And number three, it says, I'm gonna make you into fishers of men. Remember they were fishing right then. He was using that as a, you know, hey, I know you're doing this for your vocation. I'm gonna, I have a purpose so much bigger for you than, than fishing. You're gonna fish for me. You're gonna see men's lives changed all over the world if you'll follow me. And so he says, I'll follow you. I'll make you something. And then disciple number three is someone who is on mission. So now we can go to that slide. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate that. Uh, these are the three. And I think what's really convicting to me, I've struggled with this because I've taught this and I've literally had to say, wait, wait, wait. Am I actually on mission right now in my life? Or am I just teaching it? And do I think that me teaching it is me being on mission? Because I dare say it's not. Yeah, this is what I do. Um, but I got to live this thing out first before I teach it to anyone. I don't get to like tell y'all to do this and ignore my neighbor. And y'all, I'm going to be honest with you. I've kind of ignored him for a little bit. He's, y'all don't even know where I live. Some of y'all might know him. Uh, I'm not going to say anything. But I know I need to have conversations with him. And uh that's not the only mission, 
But as I go, as I'm living out my life, am I observing what Jesus did and, and calling out disciples? Because disciples, uh, yeah, to be a disciple first, you gotta be converted. You gotta like give your life to Jesus. But when we have this argument on, is it conversion? Is that what the church is supposed to do? It's, it's yes, but it's not the only yes. That's not discipleship. He didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. And yet evangelism is the key ingredient to discipleship, right? Like that, that's key. It's just not all of it. Because we need to teach people how to walk with Jesus, how to have a relationship with him, how to know him. For this is eternal life, to know Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. And so a disciple is this. As the bridge, we kind of took that. I think that's everyone's mission, no matter what context you're living out being a disciple maker. It's all of our context. It's all of our mission. It just looks different in some of our lives. We have different giftings and we have different vocations and that's okay. We're called as the church to go. Ecclesia means that the church literally means this called out ones, the sent ones. And we are called to this. So as the bridge, real quick, I'm going to bookend our whole time together telling you why we exist. Our mission statement at the bridge, we exist to invite students into meaningful relationships with God and one another. We exist to invite students from, from all over. We have a very specific ministry, right? Uh, age group, and we're inviting them into something. This is not conversion. This is not one-time transaction. We're inviting them into relationship because discipleship happens in the context of relationship. How, long, how much time did Jesus spend with his disciples? Most of his time, relational, sharing meals, walking through fields, talking about the things, ministering together, walking together, doing life together. This is the context of making disciples. Like I said, you can't learn and love God and not love people. And it's why our community groups matter. It's why life groups matter and home groups matter. And we talk about them all the time because we're not interested in you guys just coming and attending. We love that. And you come in this gathering and we get to worship together and we get to be encouraged. But this isn't the goal. The goal is to reach and to be discipled. And we know that that happens best in a vehicle of small group where we get to be real and be known and people ask us about our lives and walk with us. That is what he's called us to and what Jesus modeled. And so that's why we exist to invite in. And literally, the mission is in the invitation. It's inviting in to do this as I do this, to walk with Jesus as I walk with Jesus, to imitate me as I'm trying to imitate Jesus, inviting your friends wherever they are along on this journey. As we go to make disciples, we wanna reach the lost in the city. Oh man, there's so many people at MSU that do not know the Lord. Can we be honest about that? Can we be praying about that this summer? Like, I'm so grateful for this group, but man, there's a lot more that don't know him. They don't know about last week. They don't know the hope that they can be justified in Jesus. There are people at Vernon and out at Shepherd, and some of you guys are stationed at Shepherd, and we love that Air Force Base because it is a mission field of sending. I, I mean, amazing. So we have a heart for Shepherd as well. We want to see the people out there come alive in Jesus and they literally get sent all over, man. Like we got people here from every, a lot of nations through the base and through our schools. 
and it's important. So Jesus' final words to us in closing is to go and, and realize that we have been sent. We've been called into a purpose bigger than us. And it's gonna take all of us. And it's not for the pastors to do. It's not for the staff that I just talked about that we're like, we're the professional Christians. We go get everyone saved. Like God's calling you to that. And you. And you to be on mission. And before you freak out, remember the last words of the Great Commission. What does he say? I will be with you. I will do the heavy lifting here. Just go. Watch me work. Any of us that want to be near God, go on, go on mission for him. Like it's built in. He promised, I, if, if you will go, as you go and make disciples, I will be with you. He breathes the Holy Spirit on him because he's going to send you the same way he was sent. And that is empowered. And so I brought this little flower. Okay, so my, my wife loves Gerber's. All right, that's why I chose these. I was going to do a little hibiscus tree, but uh, my wife likes Gerber's. So we might plant these later. Uh, you know, two for one deal. And I know this is a cheesy illustration, but I don't care. All right. My heart for all of you in this room right now is that we're about to scatter, right? Like a lot of us are, are leaving pretty soon. Some of you are staying. Awesome. We got plans for you, right? Um, but as you go, we want you to thrive. We want you to be healthy and bearing fruit. That's what the petals are, the fruit that bears something. It shows what this is. This is a Gerber daisy. I can tell by the fruit it produces. And the way that this plant stays healthy and the way you and I will stay healthy this summer is by, by three main things. And so I just want to, like my last night, tell you, if, if there was one thing you could do that for sure, if you will do this, you will grow in your faith. You will grow closer to God. He will change you. If you do this one thing, what is it? Does anybody know? It's the one thing. I mean, out of all the spiritual disciplines, if I will do this one thing, it's gonna make me grow the most in my relationship with God. All right, I'm gonna give it to you. Read your Bible. That's the, that's the number one. That's the number one. If you would read this and not just learn information or not just know that you're supposed to read it, because that doesn't do me any good to know I'm supposed to read it. It's to observe that idea, that fact that, man, if I would know the God of this scripture, if I would walk with it, if I would memorize it, if I would hide this in my heart, it will change my life. So reading the Bible, I'm going to equate that to sunlight, right? Like how key is this for sunlight to hit this right now? It might need some sun. Uh, it's been in my car. It was really hot today. Um, might need a little sun, but it has to have sun. If it is in darkness, it will wilt, and you will too this summer if you don't get into God's word. I hope you have a plan for being in God's word and reading. We have a bridge reading plan. I didn't prompt them on this to put that up, so they probably don't have it, um, but you can join us. We're gonna send out some reading plans this summer for anyone that wants to join us, but you may already have a reading plan. That's awesome, but read the Bible, and not just every once in a while, like every day, every day this needs that. Number two, this needs water. And I would equate that to a communing with the Lord. It is like water. Anyone who thirsts, come to me and you will thirst no more. That as we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus, and what I would say is prayer, a steady life of prayer and solitude with him. So Bible and prayer, 
going hand in hand, breathing in, inhaling, exhaling. It's, it's, it's that. It's going to make this plant thrive. And finally, the third thing that's really important, I need you to hear all three of these, is that this plant is rooted in good soil. And I believe the principle that you and I were not created to do this alone. The moment I take this one and pull it out of that, what's going to happen to this? Even if I put it in the sun, will it die? Even if I just pour water on it, will it die? Because it has to be, it's dead. It's over, right? I had to use it as an example. Come on, bring forth more, right? More water and sun. You have to be connected to community. You have to have good community around you to encourage you, to walk with you through the ups and downs. So when you think about your context for the summer and where you're going, where you're gonna be, do you actually have good community? Not just community, not just people, but people who are running after Jesus. People that you wanna be like and imitate. And people that wanna imitate what you imitate, which is running after Jesus. That is a critical component. And some of you miss that. You think, oh, this summer is just gonna be me and God and I'm gonna be good with that. And I'm telling you, that's not true. You were not wired to live in isolation. We were wired for community. And so if you're going somewhere, figure out where that community is and help us. We wanna pray with you through that. We wanna pray community into your life. Some of you in this room, you're staying and you would still admit, man, I don't even have any community here. And that's why our home groups matter so much. So I wanna point you to those. We're gonna be doing those on Thursday nights. We're gonna be hanging out on Tuesday nights. We're gonna have community here, but I, I hope that you would have that. But in the midst of being in his word, having a thriving life of prayer and being in community, we're gonna live on mission this year, this summer. We're not wasting this summer. Don't waste it. Don't waste it on you. It's so empty. Like keep your eyes open to the people that need to know the hope that you have. 